This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello. And welcome to Line Dance Podcast with... Megan Barcelia. And Christopher Gonzalez. We are continuing our very long list of conversation starters or good questions to ask. And we are on the road to Stoney's up in Sacramento for dancing. In case you hear road sounds, we are indeed on a road heading towards Stoney's. <laughs> All right. The last thing that I think we talked about was who in your life is the worst at using technology. And I remember mentioning that Michael Barr in the line dance community will make fun of himself as being like a grandpa who needs help, but he always learns what he needs to learn. So from that question, I don't think we've answered this next one. And it's number 258. What's the weirdest conversation you've eavesdropped on? And as it pertains to line dance or not, I don't typically eavesdrop on conversations. So maybe if it's like something that happened at the DJ booth uh, or a story that we were told. We mentioned the Senor Frog thing with Louie already, but that wasn't eavesdropping. That was him telling a story. I have walked into middles of conversations that have been very strange, but I can't say I've ever eavesdropped on anything. Okay. I can't specifically tell you what was the weirdest thing because, you know, coming into the middle of stories, generally speaking, is entertaining in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I work in the medical field at a vet hospital so getting into halfway through conversations things can be very confusing and weird um, and disturbing when you don't know context <laughs> yes hmm. yeah, weirdest eavesdropped on yeah I don't know if I have like a, a line dance answer for that because I feel like if it were that weird I would remember it like it would stand out, like some social we went to, or some um, after-party mixer, like with the Quick Steppers, Vegas. I've, I've probably had a weird conversation with Simon and or Scott. True. They and have very unique minds that uh, are very entertaining to hold conversations with. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one partial credit. Um, the fire pit with Simon and friends. Yes. And it was not a weird conversation. It was a weird experience. <laughs> and we weren't participant exactly for the parts where, like, carrots were being thrown into flame. So in that sense, we were, like, physically eavesdropping <laughs> on the events transpiring around us. And it was unusual, which some might call weird. There you go. So I'll, I'll say the fire pit experience in Vegas in, what year was that, 2016? Yes. Is yeah. that your first Vegas or yes. the second? Okay. First year was 16. Yeah. And we have yet to return to the fire pit that I recall. Mm, I don't think yep. we've been back. No, I have not been back yet. That's okay. Number 259. What just around the corner tech are you eager to get your hands on? I would like to try virtual reality in a line dance setting because I think if that were widespread and cheap, people might have been using that more for this quarantine period. But since it isn't in everyone's hand, yeah, it's, it's still a niche. So I don't have my hands on it yet. That would be a very interesting experience as well as I think that would probably give the cl- 
closest simulation to social dancing that a lot of this virtual teaching has drawn up the feelings of multiple people that it's been missing. Like, I love the social aspect. I love conversation. You know, like, that's, that's huge for me. So, with social dancing, dancing by myself to a screen is, is, you know, like, what was offered at the time. And so I took it, but I would have given just, just about anything. Not, you know, in the realm of, like, obvious. I would not want anybody injured or hurt or sick as my exclusions to that, um, to be dancing in a ballroom with people. So I think actually that you, that's a perfect answer to say virtual reality for line dancing, given our current world predicament. Yes. I think another that I would add would be silent disco technology. Currently, from the stuff I was reading, it's easiest to have like a miniature transmitter, like FM transmitter, so that all of the headsets pick up the signal at the same time. But if you had an easy to use Bluetooth system, where, or something similar to Bluetooth technology, where everyone's different third party headphones could be roped together into one network, then everyone could bring their own headphones to some place where line dance isn't technically hosted and you could have line dance instruction there without bringing giant speakers where some people say it's too loud some people say it's too quiet you know what if everyone is receiving the signal in their own personal headphones at the same time then you all share that same experience with individualized devices you can turn yours up higher or lower I don't know if that exists yet no, but that way. would be an interesting addition, too, because I know, like, a lot of people have difficulty with, you know, the levels in certain, you know, lessons and whatnot, or even at a bar, per se, where, like, if you wanted to do a quick lesson to the side, it's hard to hear over the music and the talking and all that. As we are sure to find tonight, if we're there in time for a lesson, if they're even doing lessons. Yeah, because yeah, like if you find yourself shouting over the crowd because all that you have amplifying your voice is the microphone and speaker, uh, you might want to just circumvent that completely by speaking at a nice quiet volume into your, into your microphone and have it delivered to people's ears as a quiet, calm speaking tone with their headphones on. Cool. Number 260. What was the darkest movie you've ever seen? I know the darkest battle I've ever seen was The Long Night in Game of Thrones. And that was just physically dark. Like, it was hard to see because there was so much darkness on the screen. In a line dance capacity, I don't know. Maybe something on a flight? Oh, I don't... I, don't, ooh, I know we try and generally try and tie this into line dance I was having a hard enough time trying to figure out which I would classify as like a dark movie in general I can think of a Disney one you've seen that I haven't and she just went frowny face oh which one 
Uh, well, it involves two mammals of the four-legged variety who are best buds until they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty dark for a kid's movie, Fox and the Hound. Stupid. They should be able to be friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty dark movie I've seen would be... Oh, dear. I want to say it's Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, so that, sad. Oh, heartbreaking. So dark. Sad. Just, you just, you're waiting for, like, to come up for air and they just keep pushing you <laughs> further down. Yeah. It's very sad. Um, Amazing how we've come up with animated movies that you uh, think would be geared toward kids. Yeah, right. Um, depending on how you take it, um, a lot, this is one of the reasons why I love Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli films is because when you watch the film just as its artwork, it's stunning. When you watch the film as a storyline, it's enjoyable. When you watch the film and analyze it, you feel like you need to go out and fix the world. Um, because there's always some kind of like environmental something underneath of his just really good ones or um, personal you know like stories for the characters that is an underlining subtext uh, the two specifically that I was thinking of is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and then um, Princess Mononoke and they're just it's they're two of my favorites personally but um, yeah I love those uh, but Dark I would the first one that actually came to mind was Memento Huh. Oh, yeah, the ending of that. Yeah. Mm. I did not feel satisfied. Yeah, so that that would be one of those that, like, I, I would have classified as just that mentally slash emotionally dark. Didn't you say you had uh, unpleasant feelings about Shutter Island as well? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think three of the ones that I would have to mention are... Two from World War Two, or two about World War Two. The Pianist oh. and Schindler's List. Oh gosh, oh gosh, that just opened up so many more. Yeah, and oh. then the third one has a similar tone, and it's Children of Men. Children of Men, yeah. Yeah, pretty bleak. Um, bleak world. Yeah, definitely Children of Men. That was a tough one. Uh, Schindler's List, of course. American History X. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That. That is such a powerful movie for me that there, we, we had talked about how there's certain movies of mine that, like, I cannot, cannot handle suspense. Hmm. I, I can't, I can't do it. It is, I am too agitated in that state of alert of a suspense. It's why I didn't make it out of the first, like, ten minutes of the TV show, um, whatever the zombie one was. Walking Dead? Walking Dead, yeah. I wanted to say Left 4 Dead, and I was like, no, that's a video game. Mm. Um, I never made it out of the hospital because I was waiting for something gosh awful to happen in the first, like, five minutes of the first episode, and I couldn't handle it. Mm. Could not handle it. With that said, 
I tend to cheat when it comes to certain movies. If they're like on Netflix or whatnot, I I will watch the end to make sure that it's okay. So that, like, I can tell myself when it gets too suspenseful, it's okay, it works out. It's okay, it works out. Don't worry about it. It's fine. American History X, I'm so glad that I didn't know the ending to that because I possibly wouldn't have gone back and watched it because I would have cried my eyeballs out knowing that. Um, But it's so worth it the watch to me it's so powerful it's so emotional it's so just pull every fiber of your being apart kind of movie and with that said most recently the documentary dominion oh super dark definitely leaves a lasting impression yeah the sad thing about dominion is the reality of it Uh, two ways I well I I also cheat with movies when it gets a little too what's going on here what's going to happen uh, I do it with TV shows as well I'll pull up the Wikipedia article and I'll read just past where I am I won't read too much further than that I just need to know how is the scene going to resolve because I don't want to get attached to things that aren't going to be there for me later um See, that's my problem. All of my favorite characters always die or turn evil. I don't know why. They start out with a really, really sweet character. They're awesome. They're great. And then all of a sudden, they either die or they turn evil. Which is why I got to where I got in Game of Thrones and went, you know what? My two characters are still alive. I'm going to stop here while they still are because I can't handle any more death. That is, everybody says, yo, first get go. Don't get attached to anyone. Everybody dies. So. The other way that sometimes I will watch something if I'm not sure about it is I'll skip around. Okay. Kind of like you mentioned with like watching the ending first. Um, when I watched Joker, which I would also add to list of dark movies because I saw it, I saw it once I don't feel compelled to see it again but I'm glad I did the one time okay uh, I went to where it looked like there were some kind of like moments of climactic action that I felt like I would need to see to really know this movie but then I'd be interested and I'd want to go back a little bit and see like how did it get to this point and then if I saw that much of it I'd think okay maybe this movie has a chance I'll back up further and see how that scene goes. And then a scene would go for 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, I don't know if I'm really feeling this. So then I'll skip ahead a little bit to see, like, okay, now now that we we got, okay, he has a history. Like, let's see what happens now that we've just taken that for granted. And then eventually I'll bridge that gap in between. And it's just like this patchwork movie, kind of like Memento, but unintentionally. That's my way of cheating through, especially longer movies. If I don't know that I'm going to feel good about having started it 20 minutes in. Like, well, I finished 20 minutes, but it's a four hour whatever saga. Like, if I don't like it by 20 minutes, then what do I do? Do I I turn it off and have wasted that? 
or do I skip ahead to an action thing that maybe is more interesting and then feel like, oh, okay, I'm invested in these people now. I'll go back and I'll earn this by watching some more of their life and stuff, the world building. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to figure out how to come up with some kind of answer to tie it into line dance. And I think thus far, my conclusion has been we are okay feeling sad. We are okay feeling hopeful, feeling happy, feeling sassy, feeling sexy. Generally speaking, I can't think of a line dance that's dark. I don't know if that's really where we go as line dancers. Yeah, because like even the ones that are vulnerable, like fragile, aren't dark not in the sense... They're not like hopeless. They're just showing a weaker part of you and that's okay we all get to be weak together yeah so it, it's a safe place to experience that very normal human emotion so i'm not sure if i could ever actually accurately answer that question one dance that i i wouldn't say is dark but um extremely mournful it's the last word because, like, at least with Take Me to the Water, he talks about how death happens, but, you know, you learn how to live. Like, he, he learned lessons from the sadness. But with the last word, there is no happy ending. Last word and Take Me to the Water always... Always moved me. And up until, what, like, just this last semester, so I'm going to say October-ish of last year... Um, I had never cried mm. until then. Mm. A lot of stuff started, you know, speaking to me differently. Mm. And the last word to take me to the water, especially near the end of the year, December, really started to move me in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can see those. Yeah, a lot of dances have some kind of positive resolution, but the last word just leaves you with, with sad. Yeah. 261. What do you do when you hear something fall in the middle of the night while you are in bed? I just leave it alone. Well, generally. See about that. If you had asked me that question five years ago, mm. would have said I would have yelled at the cats. Because <laughs> I would have just automatically assumed that it was them. But a lot has happened in five years that I no longer have cats. I forgot that you had cats. I did have cats. I was just reading something today on indoor cats versus outdoor cats, and I thought about how I don't have either of those. I completely forgot that that was a normal part of your life. Yep. That's gone completely. Yeah, I miss them. It's okay. Um... Right now, it depends on what sound follows the sound of the falling. I like to monitor. (laughs) Because I currently live in a household with like six other people. However, if I lived alone, I'd be a little more concerned. Yes. (laughs) A little bit more like, uh, okay, I don't hear anything. Maybe, Maybe it was this. Also, am I awake to hear this sound? I don't know. Maybe it wakes you up. 
I mean, it says, what do you do when you hear something fall okay, so in the middle of the hear. night while you are in bed? Okay, so yeah, I'm awake. Yeah, I usually don't follow up on it if I can identify mentally, like, what it is and where it fell. Yeah. If it's, like, a mystery or something, then I'll usually just get up for it, because I'm, I'm not... Honestly, in the middle of the night, I probably just went to sleep. Right. <laughs> so I'm not that tired. I'll get out of bed for it. Right. And also, I live alone, so um, I can pretty much picture where everything is in my house, so I, I know what I left... Where? On the dryer rack in a precarious position, be like, ah, I knew I was supposed to just put that away. I should have right. not leaned it against something where you know it could slip. Yeah. And generally speaking, um, we we both live in a relatively safe in um, area yeah. in town. Um, your area is, is just as safe as mine, from what I can tell. I live near a firehouse. Yeah, me too. Um, although, from what I understand, yours is much closer. Very close. Um, <laughs> mine's a little bit further down the street. Um, totally lost my train of thought. We live in safe neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. So I generally don't assume that it's some kind of, like, intruder. And also to back that up, I'm a big chicken. <laughs> so I won't watch scary movies by myself or late at night or generally ever <laughs> like seriously <laughs> the fact that I even saw cabins in the woods is a feat mm. like that's yeah no so I generally just avoid that kind of stuff so my first instinct isn't necessarily like who's in my house what just fell in a something's going to hurt me kind of thought process it's more of a oh crap what did I leave out that I was supposed to put away kind of thing in a line dance context I check to see whether it woke up my roommate yes if it's another person on staff oh gosh yes and then I I scan to think what was it and was it my fault yes because then I might need to pick it up yes. if, if they left like an iron on the ironing board or something and then the iron falls well I'm just gonna leave it um but if it was you, then, yeah. yeah, you don't want to inconvenience them. Yeah. Yeah. The you, yeah, you know, seriously, if I, that is an excellent answer, line dance wise. I would be, I drop something in the bathroom. Mm. I'm like, <gasps> okay, it didn't wake them up. Cool. You know, kind of situation. So I would certainly, if I was, you know, in a dance situation where I was sharing a room with someone for whatever reason, um, I would be interested to know one, if it was them and if they're okay, mm -hmm. or two, if, um, if, uh, sorry. <laughs> There's a Corvette driving by with, um, sounds like Italian opera music playing. Um, sounds like this, this guy's having a good day. Yeah. A little distracting. Yeah. So, Anyways, one, if they fell or dropped something, would also be another, like, thought process. Mm. As well as, you know, like you were saying, did, is it my fault it fell? Mm. And with us at events, we're usually the ones up later than our roommates. Yeah. So, it's, it's rare that they'll, they'll be cleaning up and then something falls because, you know, we're probably just returning back from the survivor photo. Right. 
Number 262, what outfit could you put together from clothes you own to get the most laughs? Wow. Oh God, you don't even want to know. And that's absolutely applicable to line dance. I, I I have so much clothes. I have so much clothes. I don't know how I've accumulated so much clothes since October of 2017, but I have bags and bags of clothes. I am sure I could find something insane. And then also, um, I have Synergence makeup to add to that, so I could definitely do some crazy kind of makeup costume. You know, I'm a girl, so I can have crazy hairstyles and yeah. I could reprise my uh, my appearance as Max from How the Grinch Stole Christmas if I were to go to, say, uh, oh, Florida Line Dance Classic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's my quote-unquote Miami stripper shirt. <laughs> um, that's the wavy green and yellow shirt for anyone who saw me wear that on like a disco night at some event. I think I'm out of work. It's also in the end, if you watch all the way through the video of Can't Walk Away. Mm-hmm. It's what he's wearing the very, very end after the quote unquote thank you credits. Yes. Other than that, what else? I mean, I have a t shirt that says Breastfest 2013 that was like cancer awareness from Sonoma State but you have a lot of bright colors or bright patterns that you could probably throw together in a clashing crazy kind of way that you could pull something off I do have neon green socks galaxy patterned and also like neon pink elastic waistband flamingo underwear they could probably pass as shorts. They're very long, long boxer briefs. I have a couple different kinds of slippers. Uh, as for the top, I don't know what would go well with those. Maybe that would be a, a job for the Miami stripper shirt. That Just one, with like two middle buttons. you still have that very, very light blue button. Oh, the shiny. Down, the shiny one, yeah. Yeah, I like that one too. That would be another one depending on what you're going for. Oh, no, it's got to be the, uh, the Three Wolf Moon America... Freedom, what was it? Something about freedom, land of the free uh, t-shirt that I got for $5 at Walmart with American flags all over. And add in, just for kicks and giggles sake, your flamingo tutu that I made for us. If I still have that, yeah. You do. It's I have it. Oh, you have it. I have it, yeah. Um, it's with mine. Um, for Michael and Michelle's winter break, Palm Springs flamingo themes and then i could wear my lei uh my my hawaiian yep. artificial lei oh at least one of my cowboy hats maybe with the country soul, soul on hat top backwards like thug style gangster style um maybe yeah we have enough cl- we have enough clothing that could totally pull together for some crazy wacky outfit I'm sure. Yikes. Number 263. What's the most disgusting sounding word in the English language? Well, if you ask my best friend, the answer is going to be moist. A lot of people don't like that word. I don't understand what's wrong with the word, but yeah, a lot of people don't like the sound of it. Like if you lift something, you hoist it. 
you fix the joist on something, then that's just what carpentry or something. But like moist, they don't like, I guess, because of the mental associations that, that are brought up when you think of like a moist sandwich or things that shouldn't be moist. See, and that's what I go with like moist towelette. <laughs> And some know. people do it to themselves. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. In, in, um, in line dance, I don't know that they're disgusting sounding words, really. Oh. <laughs> Maybe if you have to, like, go out for lunch, like, no, no lunch bar, no free continental breakfast. That's not disgusting, it's just inconvenient. Yeah. Did you have a thought? I, again, it's not. There's nothing really disgusting about what we call certain things. Like sailor step doesn't sound disgusting. Coaster step. Phrased. Some people don't like the word phrased. Well, that could be scary. Some people could go as far as saying that tag. non-country is disgusting. I can or, see people having a reaction yeah, to tag, tag as well. Restart. Hmm. Disgusting. Like they're disgusted. Oh, how could they say that on stage? I am disgusted. Uh, oh, if they say not everyone can do this dance, some people would be deeply offended, which I think is fine because I think everyone can do dances with modifications. Yeah. So somebody saying like, how can you just write people off like that would be acceptable disgust. Yeah, I mean. That's not really a word though. Number two six four. Oh, oh no! Oh no! I don't like that sound. What was ruined because it became popular? Everything. I feel like we. I mean, um. <laughs> we need like a separate podcast that never airs for this question. Oh, there. Um. So there's some things. The easiest way to describe this is not specify a specific thing that was ruined, quote-unquote, sure, sure. but more as a umbrella generalization. Yes. For instance, there is certain dances that are very special to me because of who I learned them with, where I learned them, what I was going through when I learned them, some kind of positive association I have with them. And then I get really, really, really excited about them. And then I share them. And then they become popular and that's awesome. And then I play them every Thursday night for three years. And it's like, guys, what about all these other new dances? Or old dances? Or all of these other dances? Do we really need to do this one again? That would be the closest thing I could say. Yeah, I could see that. When you get burnt out on something because you no longer... It's like you let the toothpaste out of the tube and you can't get it back in there. Because just, just as you are at your peak or midpoint of enjoying something, someone you're teaching it to is just starting. They won't hit the midpoint, nor will they be tired of it and be three quarters or 100% of the way done for a long time. And you will be at three quarters when you're just starting to say like, you know... I think I'm ready to pace myself on this. If it gets played at an event, it gets played. That's fine. I won't request it. I want to savor this for the few times a year I dance it. Other people aren't there yet, and they burn it out while you are trying to yeah. just kind of um, reduce. 
Yeah, I can see that That's happening. That's the easiest way I can give that as an umbrella. Because we all have those dances where we're like, we're seriously dancing this one again? Okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the dance. It's just when you hear it, the same song, the same time of night, every week, it can potentially, like, come on, guys. We just need something different. Anything different right now. Anything different. Ooh, or when it gets to that stage when... The, the first few people who learned it had nowhere to learn it but the step sheet, so they learned the actual steps. Or the internet from, say, like a Rachel tutorial. And then enough people learn it at, say, the country bar that they're not learning it from step sheets and video tutorials anymore. They're learning it from what they see every week or what they think they see. And then when they feel confident in it, their friend says, hey, teach me that dance. And they say, okay, here's what I think it is. And now the game of telephone has mutated the dance so far that it, its, its popularity has made it no longer what it originally was. Yes. Or when, when a song uh, pairing for a dance gets so popular that the things that, that you could appreciate from the original, like Men in Black, there are parts of Men in Black that go very well with James Kellerman's MIB. So you can see kind of in the music video in your mind, oh yeah, this is the part where we walk, this is where we bounce, we slide. You'll lose that when you song change it to something else. And if you change it multiple times, okay, at least you're getting variety. But when you song change it to like one or two other things and that's it, well then why didn't you just keep it with the original and that's it? Right. Like if you're okay just doing it to one song, I think it's interesting how many people who are exposed to the dance asking questions now probably have no idea that it's, it's it was choreographed to a song called Asking Questions. Right. Because they, they do it to, you know, another song featuring Pitbull in other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, ditto with Mbop. People are shocked to find out how slow Mbop is. Right. To be fair, I was too. Yeah. Or that it was done to a song called Mbop by Hanson. Yeah. Which we lived through. Yes, we did. And other people just know it as, yeah. well, I don't know, that's a weird name for, a, for a, a dance, but it goes really well to this song, insert pop song of the year here. Right. I, I will also say, um, my experience of some events has changed over time. Not to the point of ruination, but what I have to look forward to at such events is different now because of some experience somewhere because of popularity right yeah okay. the, 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 the folks that that I remember from my first time there are not those that you might see this year or yeah. you know, next year okay because events are always changing it's like a container the container is the same but what you put in the box might change from year to year so even though you still remember this old tin that your grandma had as being full of knickknacks and beads and embroidery, you know, over time when when that's not when your when your grandma passes and somebody uses it for like coins or, or sandwich bags, you still love the container because it brings back those memories, but you don't open it anymore because you're not going to find what you need inside it. 
I can I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and there's certain like there's certain memories that you have, and because you're looking back on a memory, you're remembering the high and the feeling, and you're getting that re-stimulation from it. And then when you go back to that event, there's a different level of expectation. And when this you you going in knowing that either the variables variables will be the same or they won't will set you up for such a weird like what do I expect to come from this event and if you can't like find a decent balance where you're like oh it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be like a rock star party the penthouse and like everybody's gonna be there and then like that's not the case (laughs) that can be very disappointing and you know There's certain ones that you want to protect. Yes. You still want people to come and want people to be there because you want the event to make money and keep going. Right. But also at the same time, you don't want any possible real life to taint it because it's like Narnia. It's going into this other world that you want to just protect. So I get it. There's another thing that just occurred to me which I can be, you know, non-specific about, and it's the idea of resources that are not the only game in town, but they might be the only one that anyone practical that anyone will in practical use go to. Let's say you have five different websites or something, and they all serve a similar purpose. They all offer similar resources for the line dance community. If one gets a slight lead over the others because it's faster to access or, or whatever, whatever the thing might be, it uses different colors, um, people might just say, okay, well, I'll use that one today. And then tomorrow when they need something else, they go to the same place. And over time, a lot of influence gets concentrated into that one resource. And it might not necessarily provide like the best way all around for things to be done, but it's the most popular. So you just use that or recommend it to a friend, even when there are maybe other experimental ones or or ones that offer this plus other stuff. It's hard to break your habit once you're already entrenched. So maybe some of these resources have become victims of their own popularity in that now they can't change too much because people right. are used to them being a certain way, even if change means improvement. Yeah, that's true. So they're kind of stuck. I, I wonder whether you could say that about choreographers at all. I don't know if anyone else has experienced... Um, feeling like your next dance has to meet up with the expectations of your last one the, or the, the saying you're only uh, with artists like um, you're only good as your last hit yeah exactly like music you know, if this album doesn't sell so well oh you're on a decline you're a flop you're a has been doesn't matter how the previous four did this album's no good so you're never going to get that magic back you're never going to get the spark some different things apply to, or appeal to different people. So maybe that same group that you had 
who adored the first four albums um, doesn't like this fifth one, but you might attract a whole new crowd because of where your art has taken you on the fifth album. Right. So I wonder whether anybody out there, maybe somebody who's been doing this longer than us, has had stories or experiences of somebody getting so popular that they stopped creating and they just froze. I don't know. I don't know anybody personally, but um, I bet it's happened at least once. Yeah. Number 265. What outdated slang do you use, do you use on a regular basis? Outdated. I mean, some people would say that okie dokie is kind of quaint. <laughs> that it's a very regular basis. Yeah. Um, I often will reply to people, like people at cash registers, if they say, oh, how are you today? I'll say, oh, I'm doing swell. Yeah. That's that's a common occurrence for me. Um, I, I never really got into the whole hella, because I mean I grew up thinking that hell was like a swear word, <laughs> so I I didn't say all the NorCal hella stuff. Um, I usually don't say things like are chill. Sometimes I'll say something is tight, like <laughs> ironically, <laughs> but like. It's not my go-to. What are your thoughts? You, you look like you have one. Um, there's a few words that I use. I don't know how outdated slang it is, and it's definitely not on a daily occurrence, but I will use certain words or phrases uh, such as when I'm asked how I'm doing if I don't have a positive answer, generally speaking, I say I'm peachy. Mm. <laughs> um, that's one of them. I'm like, I'm sure there's tons. I'm absolutely positive there's tons. It's just, of course, now that you've asked the question, my mind's a complete blank. Because yeah. I'm definitely not one of those hip cats. <laughs> you know something that I think maybe both of us say from time to time along with um, that came around I'm sure around the time of Hella is Hekka I'm fine saying yeah. Hekka I'll say Hekka I'll say Hekka yeah I did used to say Hella but it, I don't know there's just I don't know there's it doesn't taste good in my mouth I was going to say the same the taste is a little off yeah um I do have habits of saying certain phrases, but I don't know if it's like an out of date or not. Gosh darn it. Both of us say that. I say that a lot. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a few of my avoiding swear word things that I say. I still don't understand where turkey came from. I don't either. I don't know where turkey is, and I don't know where I got I like circles from. <laughs> But those are definitely phrases I use all the time. Um, I think turkey is my way of calling someone silly without it sounding negative. Because, like, I don't mean silly in a negative way. So why would I say it and possibly have them take it in a negative context? I would rather be like, you're such a turkey. It's like, what? You know, kind of situation. 
do you use any outdated slang for like complimenting people like um like she's a real looker or something <laughs> I definitely use a phrase that I don't know if it was ever a slang, but I got it from an older TV show, um, which is the nickname Boo. You I, do you boo. You do you boo. It's my way of saying like I'm not gonna judge you for doing what you feel you need to do. Yep. You do you boo. And so like so like that I guess could be an outdated slang because nobody uses it. <laughs> but yeah. I had one for a second. I don't know I'm where sure, again, I'm, like, I'm sure I have tons of them. I just am not aware. Line dance wise, I don't, I don't do this personally, but I know that there's like a difference between people who will say step sheets or dance scripts. Yeah. I think dance scripts, to me, it strikes me as older. I can see that. There is the controversy over. Shuffle, uh, chasse, two. I don't know. Triple. Yeah, I don't know what you would consider outdated or whatnot. I use all all of them. I generally don't use triple because triple is, there's so like triple too generic for me because a coaster steps a triple. I'm more inclined to use like slow, quick, quick, slow before I'll use triple. So yeah, maybe outdated slang might be the words that we learned for things in bars, which then we refine as we build a, a deeper True. line dance vocabulary. So maybe. like you could say cross side rock recover when you're trying to describe something that you don't have any other words for. Yeah. And then maybe you you, you see it somewhere in a step sheet as a samba step. So you say, okay, uh, do a samba step and another samba step. And then you learn that if you're going really strictly and you, you have uh, the syncopation in a specific way, then you could do Botafogo, which would be like one, a two, three, a four. As there's, opposed to just cross rock recover three yeah. and four. Yeah. There's definitely those. There's also um, Dorothy versus Wizards. Yes. But I'm not sure which one would be outdated. Yeah. I think it's just more of a which area you learned it from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah. I don't know if they I mean, we're not in line dance enough. For as long as we have, or like for long enough, for there us to really know what's been outdated, we'd have to ask like Joe or Scott or Rachel, you know, who've been doing this for more than five years. Yeah, we definitely haven't been doing it long enough to say like, um, just watch one of the tapes on YouTube. Like that would just be weird. Like, right? It's a com- completely different era. We didn't have VHS lessons. Number 266. Oh, golly. This is a huge question. There you go, golly. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Number 266. Take your time on this one. Absolutely applies to Lion Dance. 
What was the biggest realization you had about yourself? Yikes. For another outdated term, yowzers. Uh, oh. Um, so, when it comes to line dancing, yes. One of the biggest realizations that I have had would possibly be that I am capable of pretty much what I set my mind to. You know, I used to not think I was capable of teaching. I used to not think I was capable of choreographing. And obviously, that's different. Um, I used to not think I was capable of being a DJ. So, a lot of that has changed. So that's one of the big things. The other thing on my own personal journey with line dance discovered that it is a place that I will allow myself to be vulnerable. I certainly grew up in a situation where you, you do not show weakness, you do not show vulnerability. That is the kiss of death. been able to explore that side of myself and feel comfortable doing it. Like I still have my issues, but you know, I feel like I've grown a lot because of that fact. Like that specifically. What about you? Do you have an answer? Well, you mentioned something that reminds me of a saying I like, which is no one can do your push-ups for you. And I think it's that anything can be learned, you just actually have to take the time to learn it. And at Vegas Dance Explosion in 2015, I did my first slow line dance and was not great at it. Um, it was very frustrating. I was very accustomed at that point, after what, five years at least of line dancing in country bars, to taking the most challenging dance and just learning it casually. Uh, I also had to break through that one summer of learning fake ID and mom, uh, broken mom, yeah, broken heart. Uh, four on the floor used to be what, what I would consider a difficult dance by Matt Thompson and Mishy Zeminski. And then once I got past those, I thought, well, anything's learnable. Okay, anything. Easy. Skinny Love by Roy Hedisabrodo and Raymond Sarlamane was totally different. I actually couldn't dance it when we did full speed um, in the evening. And that was a huge blow to like my, my self-image as a line dancer. But I kept at it. That was November of 2015, and Roy came up for a workshop the following winter or spring and I knew it by then. I was ready. But I had to learn it. I had to really take the time. 
so outside of my comfort zone. I was trying to do that dance in cowboy boots and probably a cape. <laughs> and my jeans and buckle and hat and plaid. But my girlfriend at the time really liked the song, so I tried to learn it so I could bring it back home to her. And I had the hardest time, but I eventually got it. And that was like kind of the second breakthrough. Not only could I learn these super fast, hard dances like fake ID, I could, if I really wanted to, learn these slow, difficult ones too. But you actually have to do it. Like, you can leave it on your list forever. Like, Can't Handle Me by Guyton, which we still haven't learned. We, I think we're at a place where we know we can. Yes. Because we did, after all, learn Take Me to Church and mm -hmm. danced it that one day that we learned it. We know that we could do it, in theory, if we really fought for it. So I think on some level we know that we could learn Can't Handle Me. But unless you take the time, you don't know the dance. Yep. So... I guess, you know, some people learn that when they're playing piano in third grade or whatever, but like this is where it really sank in for me uh, in line dance was that you can learn anything, but you, you're the one who has to do it. No one can do your push-ups for you. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, we still have seven minutes if there are other realizations that you've had about yourself. Oh, ditto with the step sheet. Like, I was so scared of step sheets for so long. Right. And then upon writing one and seeing what goes into it, first of all, you appreciate and respect people who've taken the time to do it. Also, when it's done, it's done. That's it. There's no more to it. As long as you didn't mess something up, like, that's all you have to do with it is just write it. And also, it's faster then to read other people's step sheets because you know what goes into one. There's no mystery. There's no secret incantation in the parentheses. Like, you're the one who put the stuff in the parentheses in your step sheet, so you understand everyone else's now. And sometimes, for me, it's faster and easier to get it from the step sheet than from a video. I used to be so reliant on video tutorials uh, because that's what I could understand. Like. I watched people dance at bars. I watched lessons at bars. So why wouldn't I watch a video lesson at home? Yeah. But it's it's such a, a faster transmission of information to do the step sheet if I just do it right the first time. Slowly. Yeah. Videos, there's no guarantee that they're even teaching it to the step sheet. True. So that was another realization was that like step sheets are not the enemy they are your friend learning things vanilla is a good thing I used to be so anti that at the bars way back at the beginning because I was like well that's not how we dance it here well, why doesn't he just teach it the way we dance it like that's how people are going to dance it why is he teaching all these other things that aren't even in it well they are in it I'm dancing it wrong right <laughs> um, that was a, that was another one of those realizations was that there are choreographers? This was intended to be danced a certain way to another song? Right. And then you don't resist it anymore. You understand it. Because you, you write a dance to a certain song and somebody else changes it and you get confused. Like, what? But I, this part hits this part of the song that I set it to. Why, right. why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um... 
also a quick one related to that is that not everything needs to get stuck with what it is. Sometimes other pairings happen that are like genius and contemporary and are to music you actually like to listen to and not from 20 years ago or something and that can refresh the dance and maybe put it in a new context for you. So I I used to have the this idea that certain songs were allowed to be changed like Dizzy or MIB or Mbop or Tropicana Parking Lot. Those were the ones that were like approved to be song right. changed because our DJ did that. And then there were other ones like, no, 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 like you dance this song and this dance together. Like that's, that's the pairing. We can't change that. Our DJ doesn't do that. You can do it to anything you want. You can do like phrase dances to non-phrased music that's not what the choreographer intended and just figure it out and just say, you know what, let's throw in part B. It sounds like a part B right here. There's so much freedom. That was another realization is that there are no rules. We make them up ourselves, all in the service of fun. Right. So if it's not fun, break the rules. And then just know what they are so you can get back on course if you have to. Kind of like when you do, do too many turns or you mirror someone in a dance and you're like, I need, to, I need to do the actual dance for a little while just so I know that I know it. If you don't know it, it's harder to do that. True. Very and true. We still have three minutes if you have some realizations that you've come to. Um, some of the things that I've come to is that it's one of those things where you kind of knew, but like now you know. And some of that is that I really enjoy social settings in which people are experiencing something similar together Mm -hmm. Um, so like I love learning dances with people Mm -hmm. it's so much more fun for me to learn dances with more than myself Mm. than just myself yes like it's just more enjoyable Mm -hmm. Um, so like that kind of situation like I knew I was always a social person but like now I really just understand um, some of the other things realization wise that I've come to appreciate mm-hmm. is the ability to express oneself through movement mm-hmm. like I knew that I that's what music and dance was about was expressing oneself but like I don't know I guess I felt like I got a better understanding of it once I started dancing. Mm. So that's something along with, I mean, it, it really does go back to just, I can learn anything I set my mind to mm-hmm. if I just do it. Yep. So. Well, we have one minute and we're nearly inside. Any final thoughts before uh, we... we let people re-listen to any parts of this that they missed? Uh, not really, other than I hope that everybody stays safe out there and, you know, follows their passion and considers other people in doing so and uh, practice patience with yourself and others. Yes. I like that advice. All right, well, for Line Dance Podcast, this has been... Megan Barcelia. And Christopher Gonzalez. We thank you so much for tuning in this week as... Uh, every week that we upload an episode um, and uh, 
feel free to check us out at linedancer-radio.com. I'm actually wearing their shirt right now. As well as linedancepodcast.com, where we're hosted by Buzzsprout. Uh, until next time, we will see, see you on, on the, the dance floor. floor.